Good morning. Well, good to see each and every one of you here this morning. As Pastor Rick said, uh, my name is Marvin, one of the pastors here, and it is definitely a joy to be able to bring the word this morning. Um, if you've been following with us, you've been, uh, you know we've, we've been in this series, Finding God's Will for Ourselves in the Year 2023. And we've been asking, how do we figure this out? How do we, we know as Christ followers, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you know, and God's word reminds us that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us, whether it is a big life goal or whatever your life amounts to or what your purpose is for today. The interactions that you have, the, the people that you'll meet, all of those things as part and parcel of God's purpose for our lives. And so often we spend a lot of time and effort trying to figure out what God wants us to do. And so we've been talking for these last few weeks, especially as we talk about uh, from different angles, and especially in the month of January, we take some time to talk about the things that are foundational to our practice as Christ followers. We talk about our approach to God's word. We talk about prayer. We talk about giving. We'll talk about compassion. And all those things come together. And what we realize is as we follow Jesus, as we step in faith one step after another, God has a way of revealing his will and his purpose to us. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about scripture, that God's word is true. We don't change our, our, the Bible to fit our lives, but instead we form our lives to fit what the Bible has to say to us. And last week, we talked about prayer. Prayer is powerful. It's effective. And God, he looks out at you and he's asking you, what do you want? And as Christ followers, as people at Mount Hope, it's not, it is our first priority and not our last resort. And that's what we've been talking about, about who we are in, in this church and who we are as Christ followers. So today my task is this, we're talking about um, something that we all love to talk about, money. And my goal is we're raising $100,000 at the end of the service. No. My goal is simply this, for us to consider what the source of our blessings are and where they all go. This morning, our call is this. Out of God's generosity to us, we are generous to those around us. Out of God's generosity to us, we are generous to those around us. You see, there is, today we'll be talking very specifically about money. And to, uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit about all our other efforts. We'll talk about how we serve and the time that we give and our, all these other resources God has given us. But there's something unique about money. Because money has a way, it has a direct line to our hearts. And because it does, because money and the resources that God has given us has a direct line to our hearts and a direct line to our discipleship, a direct line to how we live, how we spend our days, the things that we pursue, the things that we step away from, those all have to deal. And God spends a lot of time talking through to his people through his scriptures. Jesus spends a lot of time in his ministry talking about money. And so it is important for us to figure that out and to understand what that relationship is. You see, we are called to live generously. That's in Scripture. It, the scripture reminds us freely you've been given, freely you give. 
right? Freely this gospel, this, this salvation that we all hold on to, the salvation, this identity that we have that was given to us freely. None of us paid a price for it. None of us paid the admission fee. None of us bought a ticket to this. But instead, we were called in saying, come and receive freely. And because of that, we're called to be generous. But here's, here's one thing that you and I know. Being generous is exhausting. If you're honest with yourself, being generous is exhausting. As a matter of fact, there's more need that we have around us than we've ever been aware of. There used to be a time where in our little communities, in our neighborhoods, we were aware of the need of our neighbor, right? You knew exactly what, what your neighbor to the left or your neighbor to the right or the people in your church. You knew your small communities, the people you worked with. You knew exactly what their needs were. And more often than not, pre-internet and pre-before we were aware of everything, we didn't really pay attention to the things all around that's beyond our communities, right? We didn't pay attention to what was happening halfway around the world. While we paid attention to, we were not as aware as we are today. Today, there has been a flip where now we're aware of everything that's going on around us. Pull out your phones and there's probably 15 notifications since the service started about this thing that's happening around the world or this thing that's happening in the, in the south somewhere or this thing that's happening in the north somewhere. There's always a need. And what has happened inadvertently is we've lost connection with those around us and now we're just aware of everything. And what happens in those moments, there's something that, that people have termed or research have, researchers have termed, compassion fatigue. Anyone heard of that? Compassion fatigue is simply this. When you're bombarded with so many requests and so many needs and so much around you where it feels like there's so much that needs your attention, then you just get tired. You just pull away because it's overwhelming to you. As a matter of fact, this morning, this morning I'm getting ready for the sermon and I'm, I'm putting in my final touches and I said, all right, I have, I have one scripture, one final scripture I need to pull out. So I go online, I get on this website, I type in the scripture and here pops up, along with the scripture are these ads that pop up. Now, change your life today. Help this person read the Bible. Save a life. These are three ads that were just right on that one page that I spent maybe about 20, 30 seconds on. Now, if you were to look through your entire day, all the messages coming across your phone or all of the time you spend at work and all the ads that you see and all of the requests that people bring at you saying, hey, do this for 50 cents a day, for one coffee a day, you can save the life of the so-and-so, or you can save a pet, or you can adopt something. And there's, everyone's asking for one coffee a day. Now at what point do we say, how many coffees do I give up? Because <laughs> here's the reality. We don't drink that much coffee, or sometimes if you're like Pastor Rick, you do. <laughs> but most of us, we don't have more than one or two coffees to give up. We don't have the bandwidth 
to address all of the need around us. And what happens is, as people who are called to be generous, what we do is shrink back. We're fatigued by the need around us. We suffer from overexposure, and overexposure leads to this fatigue. It's a lessening of our compassion and our ability to address the need over time. See, compassion is a good thing. It spurs us to get involved, to pray for victims, to volunteer our hours at a soup kitchen or participate in a mission trip. It gives, helps us give to the homeless. It moves us to action. It helps us open up our checkbooks, or if you don't know what checkbooks are, your credit cards or your Apple Pay, and you're, you're sending money, and you're, you're helping out. It moves us to action. But what happens when there's so much around us, we are desensitized and no longer willing to hear another sad story. What we quickly realize is this. Trying to meet every need, and if you're truly trying to do that, will lead you to be broke and burnt out. There's only so much money that you have. There's only so much time that's in your day. There's only so much emotional and mental bandwidth that you have to address the needs around you. For some of us, when we're drawn in by compassion, we tend to end up here. We're either we're broke, we're burnt out. So what do you do in these moments? What do you do especially when you're called to live selflessly? The answer is not to be selfish because that's what scripture talks against. But at the same time, this is not okay either. You and I, especially as Christ followers, we can't shut it all out and you just can't take it all in. So what do we do? So here's what we're going to do. For the next few minutes, we're going to take a look at a few friends of Jesus. A few friends of Jesus as he ministers and, and as he interacts with them, you will see how they come alongside Jesus and see how compassion and giving play out in their lives. Here's my first point. To live generously towards others, you must first experience God's generosity towards you. If we're gonna live generously, we've got to first experience God's generosity towards us. Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. It'll be on the screen as well. But Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. We're going to be reading a good amount of scripture today, so, so dive right in with me. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, uh, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing isn't necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
Now, here's the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're, they have a brother, Mary, Martha's sister, and they have a brother, Lazarus. And so Jesus is at their home. And as Jesus, as the custom of the day, as, as what's appropriate in that culture, when you have a guest in your home, what do you do? You receive them. You provide hospitality. You welcome them in. You provide them water to clean their feet and wash their hands and refresh themselves. And then you provide a meal. You provide something to drink. You provide a welcoming atmosphere. And, and you do all of those things. Which one of the two are doing it? Martha. Martha's doing all of the right things. And, and, and maybe you're like me, but I kind of resonate with Martha. I'm going, wait, if this is my task, this is what I should be doing. Jesus is a guest, and I should be serving. I should be meeting his needs. I should be giving of my time. I should be giving of my effort to make sure he is okay. But Jesus looks at Martha and says, you're concerned and you're anxious about a lot of things. But Mary has chosen the, the right thing. And the right thing in this moment is for her to sit at Jesus' feet, to experience Jesus, to interact with Jesus, and to hear and to receive from Jesus. Jesus is clearly offering a different perspective. Because what, she, what she, Martha doesn't realize is that what you're plugged into matters. What you're drawing from matters. Now, usually when I, when I come into work or when I'm traveling or in my car, I have two things that I always carry with me. Two things. One is a phone charger, and one is a battery bank. And if you know a battery bank, it's a little, little battery that you plug your phone into. It charges your phone over time. Two things. Now, both of them have the same purpose. That is, when my phone's about to die, I plug it in, and they're both charged. Now, how they operate, though, are very different. For example, when I plug my phone into my battery, into my little battery bank, it'll keep the charge for a certain amount of time. And at some point, the, my phone's going to use up all of the charge, all of the juice in the battery bank and also in the phone. And at some point, that battery is going to die. But here's the difference with the charger. As long as my phone is connected to the wall or to my car outlet, my, the port there, and my phone's connected to that, that's not dying. As long as there's electricity flowing through the walls into that charger, it'll go on and on and on and on and on. Now here's the difference. Two things doing the same, two, two different objects with the same purpose, but one is simply a conduit, and the other is a storage. So often, this is how we behave, when, or we, this is how we are when it comes to our generosity. Most of us, we're battery banks instead of chargers. Because here's what we do. We give of ourselves. We give of ourselves. We're ready. You hear a need and you're ready to pounce. You're there. You're serving. You're writing. You're, you're sending money. You're doing all that you can. And quickly you realize, I'm drawn out. I have nothing left in me. I have nothing left to give. I'm maxed out. But what Jesus is offering is a different perspective. 
Jesus is saying, well, he's not literally saying this to Martha, but he's saying, be a charger, be a plug-in charger. Because what Mary is doing is being plugged into the source, being plugged into Jesus, being plugged into the Holy Spirit. As believers, as Christ followers, you and I, will have the only way you and I are going to be able to serve, the only way you and I are able to give, the only way you and I are going to be able to be generous is to be connected, to be plugged into the source. See, our generosity is unlocked with our encounter with his generosity. When we encounter who Jesus is, when we encounter his generosity towards us, that's when it starts flowing through us. Let's continue our story in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. It, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who, was an, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, brother Lazarus was ill. So here's the story. So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is suddenly ill. So Jesus has gotten word. So the sisters sent, uh, sent to him saying, Lord, the one who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Seems like an odd reaction for someone you love. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is pretty ill at death's doorstep, essentially, and what they were saying was, Jesus, we know that you can make him well. So would you hurry and come and heal him? And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, wait, let's wait. Let's pause here. Let's continue what we're doing. And as the story goes, Lazarus dies. And the story will continue in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha's serving as a reminder that you can be around Jesus, hear the words that he's saying, and not truly grasp what he's trying to say. Jesus is essentially saying, Martha, the resurrection, the power of resurrection is standing right in front of you. Your belief is that, yes, you can, that I can heal him, and that's great. And your belief is that at the end of all time, everyone will be resurrected, and that's great. 
But what you're not getting is the fact that I am right here in front of you. And at, one, at my word, he can come back to life. Martha has an experience with God, with Jesus, and yet does not completely comprehend it. And the, uh, John continues in, in verse 32, now her sister Mary. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the story continues, verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, the same Martha who just heard that he will rise again. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an order, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to him, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you send me. When he had said these, said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to, said to them, unbind him and let him go. What a powerful moment. For Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as Lazarus walks out of the tomb, this is where they encounter the moment of God's generosity, God's blessing, God's presence, God's activity in their lives. A God is lavish, overflowing, generous, bountiful, he loves to give good gifts to all his children. He blesses even those who hate him with thousands of good things. Everything that is created, everything that's around us, all comes from him. When we, when we look around, we see creation all around us, and we catch a glimpse of his goodness to us. However, however the greatest and the most generous gift our God has given is the gift of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, God, knowing that there was no way for you and I, for men and women like us, to bridge that gap of sin and bridge that gap that exists between us and him, he sends the biggest gift, the most generous gift, his son, Jesus Christ, with the intent that Jesus would, would die on the cross and through that death would satisfy the wrath of God for the sin that exists in the world. And because of that, that wrath that is satisfied, now we have, an, we have a relationship that is built between us and him. God's generosity towards us. My hope is that all of you here have experienced that generosity. My hope is that all of you have interacted with Jesus. My hope is that all of you have accepted that generosity in your lives. Because you see, if we're going to be generous, we first have to experience his generosity towards us. Our best hope to avoid the compassion fatigue we just talked about is to remember our source, 
God is our source, that we don't have to store it up all for ourselves, we don't have to manufacture it, but that instead it comes from him and it just goes out. What we receive, we give. If we're going to experience God's generosity, if we're going to be generous, we got to experience God's generosity first. Let's be honest, when we give and when we're generous, do we often look or consider our motives? Do we ever consider why we give towards the causes that we give to? Because if we're honest, is it completely selfless? Sometimes in our own way, in our mind's eye, we're trying to earn God's love, saying, if I do this, if I'm generous, God will love me more. Or maybe it is to ease our guilt, right? Commercials and ads are good at tugging at your heartstrings and, and bringing that guilt and saying, if you don't do this, if you don't move to action, if you don't give this child or this pet or this animal or this, this thing or something is going to fall apart. And there's a guilt that's in us and we, we're ready to give and we're ready to move to action because we want to ease, appease that guilt. And often makes us feel good about ourselves. Sometimes it is, if we're truly honest, it's for recognition. Saying, hey, I did great. Did you see it? See, the reality is, in our generosity, God is calling us to be generous people. Because he wants much more than these motives. Instead of earning, us, earning his love, he wants us to experience his love more intimately. Instead of guilt, he wants us to be grateful for his gener generous provision. He wants us to be grateful for the ability that, we're, that we have to address some of the needs, for the blessings that he's poured out into our lives so that we are able to move into action. Instead of being seen and recognized, he wants us instead to see and recognize the need around us, to be able to do it regardless of what is coming our way. God's generosity to you is given through nothing, though nothing may be given back in return. When God sent his son, he knew that there would be people who would reject him. He knew that there would be people laughing back in his face. He knew that there would be people saying no, and yet he did it anyway. His word reminds us that while we were still enemies, while we were against him, he chose to love. There was no expectation that it would be returned back to him the way he was hoping. And so when we are called to generosity, we're called to generosity in the same way. Be generous, expect nothing back. Be generous because your reward is not here on earth, but instead with God above. Be generous, do what you're called to do. And let no one else see it. You're most like God when you're generous, expecting nothing in return. Having experienced God's generosity, both Mary and Martha, in a unique way, there's a transformation that happens. Let's continue. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner there, and Martha served. Again, Martha back 
doing what she does. And Lazarus was one of those people reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in, into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Once you experience God's generosity, use what God's given you to do what you should do, even though there are many other things you could do. Now let me break this down. Two things that we're saying here. When God is generous to you, and God has blessed you, use what God, the, what blessings he has given you, use the resources, the money, the, the, the wealth, the whatever God has given you for what you should do, and not what you could do. What you should do, and would not, not towards what you could do. As a matter of fact, a lot of us, we, when we come into, when maybe you're, you're budgeting at the beginning of the year or the end of the year, and you're looking out at 2023, and you're saying, okay, this is where my money's going to this year, and you're making all those decisions, and you're looking at each dollar, and you're saying, this is what this dollar could do. This dollar could go towards my retirement. This dollar could go towards my latte. This dollar could go towards my child's college fund. This dollar could do a lot of things. This dollar could go towards the poor in my neighborhood. This dollar could go towards my church. This dollar can go in so many different ways. But Jesus is saying there's a difference with what it could do and what it should do. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about finding God's will. And there's this, this, uh, this diagram that we've been working with. This diagram where gifting and burden and God's voice and opportunity, when they come together, it's usually right in the middle that you find God's will. And so we've been talking about that, but I want to apply it today to our generosity. You see, use what you have. The gifts that God has given you. John, if you would go back to one slide, we'll keep that on for a little bit. See, Martha, suddenly there's a difference in her attitude. She realized that she had something to give. Now suddenly she's operating within her gifting. There's no complaining, there's no telling Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. There's none of that. There's no bickering, there's no complaining, there's no murmuring. But instead, she is finally operating in her gifting. Mary brings out the perfume that she had, the gift that she has, the blessings that she has, the thing that she's worked so hard for, because this 300 denarii in that time is, is a lot of money. It's many years worth of saving up. 
It's many years' worth of keeping and protecting, and it would be used towards marriage or would be used towards this very specific purpose. Mary brings that out. Gifting is what God has already given you. What is that God has entrusted you with? What do you have? What do you have? See, Mary did not have to go out to the marketplace to get the perfume. She already had it. Martha didn't have to acquire new skills. She already had it. What is your gifting? To do what you should do. God's voice. See, there, Jesus is, when, when, the, when Judas, and he comes up and he says, wait, 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 we shouldn't have wasted this this way. And Jesus responds and he says, leave her alone. Because she identifies a need. God's speaking into that need and saying, my death and burial is coming up. And what she is doing is rightly discerning. What she is doing is rightly preparing for my death and burial. The poor you'll always have, but me you won't. God's voice comes in. Even though there are other things that you could do, the burden and opportunity, and Judas is right in a way. There are so many different needs in the community, so many different needs that this, oil, this ointment and this oil and this perfume could have been used for. Now, if you're looking at it from a non-biblical point of view, you're looking at it going, what a waste. But Jesus is saying, Mary uses her gift for what should be and not what could be. You give to church not because there is a program or there is a product or there is something that you want to receive. You give to church because... God's called, to give, called you to give to church. You give to church of your time. You get, give to church or you give to the community of your resources because God is calling you to do that. What is the one thing that he has put a burden in your heart, whether it's giving to a missionary that's on our missions or on our global outreach partner team or giving it to someone who is dealing with refugees, whatever the mission or the burden that God has placed you, he's saying operate within that. The word that you read, the scripture that you read, the scripture that you're interacting with, what is God speaking to you about? Give towards that. Sometimes he's saying burdens are seasonal. Sometimes there may be something that God is calling you towards. You see, Mary in that moment was addressing a seasonal need for in that particular moment because there would never ever again come a time where Jesus' feet would be washed and cleaned and perfumed like that. Mary was raised up for that moment. There may be a need in your community. There may be a need in your life. There may be a person that only you that can help. There may be something that God has prepared you for. There may be something, there's a word in your mouth or there is, a, there is a dollar in your pocket or whatever it may be that God has uniquely equipped you for. And it may be just a one-time need, but it is a need that you have a burden for. God's saying, go do it. Give towards it. Be generous. How am I going to know what God is, God's will for my life is? Well, he's going to show it to you one step at a time. 
He shows it to you through these things. He will show it to you one person at a time. There are people that you know, there are maybe there are massive numbers of people that you want to you help. But God's saying, start by that one person. Do for that one person what you wish you could do for everybody, Andy Stanley says. Start with the one. Step out in faith. Be generous. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And as we're closing, here's the point. To live generously, use what God's given you to do what you should do, even though there are a lot of things you could do. Every religion often asks this one question, why am I here and what is my purpose? And so often, depending on the religion that you're in or depending on the tradition that you're in, somehow there's an incorrect belief that creeps in. And sometimes as Christians, while we may not say it, sometimes we live like it. And that is that our God needs us. That God needs me. That if it was not for me, God would not be able to get it done. Or if it was not for my dollar, God would not be able to address that need. The reality is God does not need any of us. He is perfectly capable on his own. He does not need your work. He does not need your dollar. The psalmist says, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. He is perfectly content by himself. But what he does desire is for us to come alongside him, to participate in what he is already doing, to be in relationship with him as he addresses the needs around our community, to address the needs around our world, to address the needs within the church. He desires to live in us, with us, through us. He invites us to be like him. He gave freely, he gave generously, and we're called to do the same. And as we're about to close here, just a couple of few questions that we ought to ask ourselves, and, and we'll, maybe if you want to write these down, it may be helpful. Is my money really going to the place where God wants it to go? As I make my budget and as I spend my money, as I do the things that I put my mind to, where's my money going? See, generosity isn't something we do later. So often we say, when my business is established and when my business is doing well, I will separate a certain amount. I will give 20%. I will give whatever. When my children have graduated college, then I'll have all this free, this money that I'm able to do. Or one day when things are better, then I will give. God's not waiting for that one day. He's saying, do it now. Do it out of the little that you have. Do it out of what he is looking for is someone who will step out in faith, sacrificially, and to do it. Am I being faithful with what I've been given? Everything that you have is a gift from God. You're called to be a steward. You're called to manage it. There's a saying, to be smart with your money, spend less. To be wise with your money, save more. But to the Christian, 
to be Christ-like with your money, give generously. That's our call. What has God entrusted you with? What is God hoping that you'll do with that? All of us here, we have some measure of God's blessing. God's call to us is be generous, live generous. That's our call for this morning. And so as you go into your week, let him identify the needs that exist around you. Let him draw your attention, draw your mind, draw your, draw your focus in on the needs around you. And give, be generous, be like Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Help us, Lord to be generous as you are with us. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. In Jesus' name.